Good morning. We are on Te'amobet um, 9b, the last couple of words, and we're trying to prove that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 of Psalms are actually one long chapter. We're now on the top of 10a. Yod Amad Aleph, Kol Parsha Shaisa Al David Pasach Baba Ashrei. Any chapter of Psalms that was dear to King David, he would um, start it off with the word Ashrei, praiseworthy, Vesayim Baba Ashrei, and finish it off with a with um, the wording of Ashrei, of praiseworthy. Pasach Ba'ashrei, he would start it off with Ashrei, Dichsir Ashrei Ha'ish. As it says, um, praiseworthy is the man. Besides, Ashrei, he'd finish it off with the word Ashrei. Dichsiv, as the verse says, Ashrei kolchoseivo, praiseworthy be all that have faith in God. And that example that we just brought, a psalm that starts with Ashrei and ends with Ashrei, is actually the first and second psalm in psalm in, in Tehillim in Psalms, the first and second chapter, because. Where it talks about beginning with Ashrei, that's the beginning of the first chapter. And the last words of praiseworthy are all of those that have faith in God is actually the end of the second chapter. And yet we're referring to it here as one chapter of Tehillim. So we would see from here, this would be a proof then that the first and second chapter of Tehillim are actually one chapter, not two. Okay, we are now at the colon. And now that we're talking, now that we've mentioned the Psalm 104 that refers to sinners being gone from the world, we are now going to reflect a little bit about that with some stories. There were hooligans in the neighborhood of Rabbi Meir. And they would distress him a lot. So Amir wanted to ask for mercy on them so that they would die. Um, that doesn't seem right that he should that mercy would bring them death, but it does when you think about it for just a moment. What Romero was asking for is that he understood that people that are very wicked can receive any reward that they were supposed to in this world so that they receive nothing in the next world. That's how God will arrange it. And that is a horrible thing. So Romero wanted them to die immediately so that they don't use up all of their reward in this world. So Bruria, his wife, who was also an accomplished Torah scholar, um, said to him, and this we, we she's somebody that we see throughout the Gemara, um, we see throughout Talmud. My daitach, what are you thinking? Mishum because it's written Yitamu <clears throat> So she's now going to she's now invoking a verse again in Tehillim, um, the one that we were referring to that says Yitamu that says um, let the sinners be gone from this world. Now Miksiv Chotim Chataimksiv. Now that word of that I just read as chataim is ches tes aleph yud mem. That could be read as chataim as sins or as sinners chotim. So what she's saying is miksiv chotim. Does that word say chotim? Does it say sinner? Which then would have implied that let sinners be gone from this world, and then what? Then what you are saying, Rabbi Meir, would be appropriate to pray for a sinner to be gone from this world. But is that really what it says? It says sins should be gone from this world. Let sins be gone from this world. 
and you it says sin should be gone from this world, and yet you are praying for the sinner to be gone. You should be praying not that the sinner be gone, but that the sins be gone, that these people no longer sin. And that's what you should be praying for. And we have another, and you could see this as you go further on in the uh, in the verse. But ode, shuffle the safe of the crowd, go to the end of that verse that says, Urishaim od enam, that says that wicked will shall no longer be. If you are reading it as, let the sinners be gone, then just because a sinner is gone, does that mean then that, that all wicked people are gone? No, that doesn't make sense. In order to get rid of wicked people, you need to get rid of sin. You need to get rid of the evil inclination. So don't. So obviously, King David's not referencing to pray for sinners to be gone. King David is, to, is referencing to pray for sins to be gone, for people's evil inclinations to be gone. Ella, and this is so. This is her conclusion. Ella, what you really should be praying for is for mercy upon them that they return in repentance, that they repent, that they stop sinning. and through that, then the wicked people will be no longer. So, Sarvimer did exactly this. Remir prayed for mercy on them, that they should repent, not that they should die, but that they should repent. The Hajjubachuva, and that's exactly what they did. They did repent. Okay. Um, so now that we talked about one story with Ruria, we're going to talk about another story with her. One time a heretic asked Ruria, It says in the verse in Yeshaya in Isaiah, it says, Rejoice, O barren one who has not given birth. Now, because a a barren person has because a barren woman has not given birth, should she rejoice? That doesn't make sense. Amrale Saburia says tells him Shatya She says, Fool, go to the end of the verse that says because it says in the end of that verse, right there it says for the children of the B'nai Shomema, the desolate one, which is Jerusalem, are more than the children of the inhabited one, said Hashem. So we see that Jerusalem, who is the reference, who we're referencing in the first part, is the barren one. We see that Jerusalem has plenty of children. So obviously when we talk about Jerusalem being a barren one and therefore rejoicing, we don't mean actually barren without children because there's plenty of children in Jerusalem, as it clearly says. So then, what does it mean when it says that uh, let the barren one rejoice? What is they? What is Jerusalem barren of? So, what's being said is is let the Jewish people um, sing out. Let them be joyous because they are like a barren woman. Because they have not given birth to children that will be going to Gehenim, to hell, like you, the Edomites. That's what it means, let the barren one rejoice. The barren of uh, uh, Jerusalem, that is barren of people that will be, that are uh, of wicked people that will be going to hell. So that's what they should rejoice over. That's what Jerusalem should rejoice over, unlike the Edomites. Okay, for now that we talked about one conversation between a righteous scholar and a heretic, we're going to do another conversation, between another type, another similar conversation. 
One time a heretic asked Rabbi Avohu, Ksiv, it says in Tehillim, the, it says early on in Tehillim, in Psalms, Mizmar David Shalom It says um, a song to David um, when he was running away from Avshalom. Avshalom was his son who was um, rebelling against him. So we that is one of the chapters of Tehillim all about that. Another Uchsev, and then we have another chapter of Tehillim that says Ladavin Michtam to David, a permanent song. when King David was running away from Shaul, from King Saul, the king that came before him, and he was in a cave. So that's another um, psalm that's actually said later on in Psalms. So we have a psalm about of Shalom, and, the, and then later on we have a song about this episode with Shaul. So we're asking, Hi, Misa, have a Which one occurred first? The situation with Av Shalom, his son, or the situation with Shaul? So we answer, Michti, so let us see, Maisa Shaul Havabresha. It's obvious that the incident of King Saul and King David happened before King David's son, Av Shalom, rebelled against him. So Lichtovresha, so if so, why did King David not write the psalm about Shaul before the psalm about Av Shalom? Why do we find that the song about Av the prayer, the psalm about Av Shalom is so much earlier on in Tehillim? So Omar Le Srabavo said to him, Atun So he said, according to you, a heretic, who does not expound juxtapositions, for you this is a question. For us that do expound on juxtapositions, it's not a question for us. Meaning as follows that even though perhaps it's not in order according to history, because Avshalom, the episode with Avshalom actually came after the episode of Shaul, but for us, we look at the importance, we consider it very important where a psalm is placed or where a verse is placed throughout the Torah, um, as far as it being right next to another verse that can teach us something, because a juxtaposition of two verses, according to us, teach us something. So we can explain that we put our Shalom's Tehillim psalm earlier because we wanted it near a different psalm so that we could learn something out of it, even though it may not be in the historical order. And this is a proof that we... Um, we expound juxtapositions, um, that for us, that's something significant. So, from where do we know that juxtapositions in the Torah teaching us something? From where do we know that that's the case? As the verse says, It says that they are joined forever and for eternity. They, these verses that are joined, are fashioned in truth and uprightness. Okay, so we see that the verses being joined together are fashioned in truth. They're there to teach us something. They're there to teach us a truth. So now that we know that we do, um, that now that we know that we do um, expound juxtapositions, so why is it now that the story of Avshalom is where it is and not later on? So now, Lama Nismacha Parshas Avshalom Parshas Gogumagog. So why are why are the Psalms of Avshalom and the Psalms of Gog Umagog juxtaposed? Okay, so it happens to be that the Psalm of Avshalom is right near, right next to the Psalm of that discusses the war of Gog Umagog, 
which is the war right before Mashiach will come, or right as Mashiach is coming, right before Messiah comes, where there's going to be a king, Gog, who is from the uh, nation of Magog, the king of Magog, who is going to wage war against God and against Mashiach and against Messiah. So why are those two psalms juxtaposed? To teach you, so that if someone were to say to you, that there's never such an instance where a slave will rebel against his master, right? Because um, well, if someone will tell you that and therefore say that the story that the war of Gogu Magog, Gog, the king of Magog, will never happen because you'll never have somebody, a slave rebelling against his master. You'll never have a king rebelling against God. That would be crazy. That's a slave against his master. So for that we have, you'll be able to tell that person that would deny such a war from happening, that even less likely is to have a son that's going to rebel against his father. But we know that happened with Avshalom against King David. Hachanami havasa so too. Um, don't be surprised that you could have a war of Gogu Magog against God. That can certainly happen as well. <clears throat> okay. So now that we now we are now going to return to talking about the verse of Yitamu Chataimin Arts. Let the sinner um, or let the sin be gone from the world. Um, that is going to be one of the topics of the following conversation. said in the name of What does it mean when it's written? So we're now going to quote from King Solomon. Um, actually, we're going to quote from Aishas Chayel, that song that we sing on Friday nights, the ode to the woman of valor, Aishas Chayel, woman of valor. Um, and we're going to uh, talk about one of the interpretations of it. So actually, um, at this point, a lot of what we're going to say, I'm going to translate literally, but a lot of what we're going to say forms the, um, is, uh, is uh, very much mystical and very much are very important passages actually in Kabbalah, in Jewish mysticism. So whatever we take, whatever we're going to talk about now literally is, um, is certainly not the entire understanding behind it but rather just a peek into a much more mystical dimension. Okay. What does it mean when it is written? I'm sorry. So just so you know, we are um, about three lines down in the wide line. So what does it mean when it says, She opens her mouth in wisdom. And a Torah of kindness is on her lips. I'm sorry, it's on her tongue. Who was King Solomon referring to in this verse? Um, he was saying it about King David, who lived in five worlds, and said song and said a praise to God in each of those five worlds. And these and these are the five worlds that King David lived in and said Shira and said praise. Shira. King David lived in inside his mother's womb and he sang praise there. Shinemar as the verse says, Um bless my soul. Let my soul bless God. Um and all of my innards the 
God's holy name, let them bless God's holy name. Um, talking about my innards is a reference to the innards of his mother where he was currently dwelling at the time. Um, then the second world he lived in is when he left the womb and came out and was able to see the, um, the, the stars and the constellations. And he said, again, he said a praise. Shenemar, as the verse says, Baruch Hashem Alachav, bless Hashem, O oh, God's angels, Gibore Koach Osa Devaro, the mighty of strength that fulfill God's words, Lishmoa Bekol Devaro, to listen to God's words, Baruch Hashem Kol Tzvaav, bless Hashem, all of his hosts, all of God's hosts, which is a reference to the, to the stars and the sun and the moon and the constellations. Okay? Yonak Mishadei Imo, Vinistakel Bidodehav Amar Shira. King David then nursed from his mother's breasts and saw his mother's breasts and again sang song. Shinemar, as the verse says, Barachinav Shias Hashem, Baal Tishkichi Kogimulav, bless my soul, bless God. Um, for not, forget not all of God's nurturing. My Kogimulav, what does this mean? What is this a reference to? All of God's nurturing. So we say this is a reference to. Um, a mother's um, a mother's breasts that she's able to nurse, but we're now going to say go a step further, and this is where I'm going to translate literally for sure, but definitely is used a lot in um, Jewish mysticism. Amar Rebbe of so my love. What is this referencing when King David says all of God's nurturing? Amar Bavo says kombina that King King David what King David saying is praising God for putting. Um, a woman's breast by the makom bina, the place of wisdom, which is the heart, um, time am I, and why did God do this? And the literal translation, the explanation will be, why did God do this as opposed to where an animal's um, breasts are, or where an animal's um, <clears throat> udders are, where an animal nurses from? Which is much which is in a much different area. So time am I? So why did God place specifically a woman's breasts where they are? So Ruta explains erva, so that the child would not have to look at the makom erva, at the place of nakedness of his mother or her mother. Rav Masna Amar Rav Masna explains It's so that she does not have to nurse, or he does not have to nurse. Um, near the place of of, um, of of uncleanliness. Okay, so that is the literal translation of this, and that was King David's praise, um, discussing the the uh, nurturing or the nursing of the mother and the specific placement of the breast of the mother. Okay, and in the fourth world, King David saw the downfall of the wicked, and again he sang a song. Shemar the verse says, um, let the sinners cease from this world, or and let the evil, wicked people no longer be. Baruch Hashem, Hallelujah. Bless my soul, bless God. Praise be God. This is the fifth world. He saw the day of death and said, sang song, Shnema, as the verse says, Baruch Hashem, bless my soul, bless God. Hashem Elokai, God, God, Lord my God. You have become. You are great. Hod v'hadar lavashda. You are wearing. Hod um, v'hadar. You are wearing um, majesty and splendor. 
So now we see that King David blessed God or praised God in this instance, but how do we know that this was on the day of his death? From where do we see in the verse that it's a reference to the day of death? So Rabbi Barav Shila explains, the verse says, It says, when you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you retrieve their spirit, they perish. So we see they reach, you retrieve their spirit and they perished. That is the, obviously a reference to the day of death. And uh, yet God, King David was still offering praise at that time. Okay. Okay. We're 12 lines down in the wide lines, um, and um, we'll start this again. And we are going to be referencing one of the verses we just cited. That's why this story is relevant. Would often be in front of Rav Shimon ben Pazi. And Rav Shimon ben Pazi would be the one that would share Agadata, in front of Rishu ben Levi. So in the academy of Rishu ben Levi, Rishu ben Pazi was the one that was the considered the expert on Agadita. If you recall, there are two different types of Gemaras. One type of Gemara is the one that has to do with Jewish law, and the other type is the one that has to do with expounding verses and um, um, basically all of that part, all of the stories and the expounding of verses found in the Torah those types of Gemaras, and that's called Agadata. So Reb Shimon Pazi was the Agadata expert in the academy. So Amar Le, Mar Okva asked um, Bar Pazi, um, Reb Shimon Bar Pazi, Ben Pazi, what does it mean when it says, Bar Hashem It says, um, what does it mean when King David says, bless my soul, bless God, um, all of my innards, bless the God's holy name. What does that mean? So Amar Le, um, so, so Shimon Paz explains, come and see, this is what King David was referencing, come and see that the traits of God are unlike the traits of people of flesh and blood. When it comes to human beings, people of flesh and blood, they'll draw an image on a wall, but they cannot put into that image any sort of innards. Um, they cannot put into that Im in image, they cannot put um, a spirit or a soul or innards or intestines. God is not like this. God makes an image, shape, forms a shape inside of another shape, meaning creates a body inside another body, creates a body inside a mother's body. And is able to still put in um, a spirit and, and a shama and a soul and a um, an innards and intestines. That's what God's able to do versus people of flesh and blood. And that's what King David is referencing when he says, and all my innards, his holy name. And this is also what Chana, the mother of Shmuel, the prophet, says, There's no one holy like God because there's no one like you. There's no one besides for you, I'm sorry. And there's no rock like God. My ain sur kalokenu, that those words of there's no rock like God, what does that mean? It means that word sur of rock can also be looked at as somebody that shapes or forms. So ain sayar kalokenu, there's no shaper like God. 
because God's able to shape somebody, uh, an, an image, and then put into that all of these life-giving things. Okay, what does it mean when Chana says about God, there's no one besides for God? explains, don't read it as there's no one besides for you. Rather, that there's no one that can outlive you, God. Because the way of God is not like the way of flesh and blood. When it comes to a person of flesh and blood, the person's handiwork outlives him. God outlives his handiwork. So that's the difference. So now we're going to go back to that question. So the original question that Marukva asked Rishim Barpazi is, what did King David mean when he said, "Bless, um, let all of my innards bless God? So Rishim Barpazi had understood that Marukva wanted to know what that meant, all of my innards. But now um, Marukva is going to explain that his question, Shoma what? Sorry about that. Um, my son just uh, came downstairs and um, I didn't, have, did, didn't notice him, so he took me by surprise. Okay. Amarle. Um, so um, Rav Marukva is now going to clarify what he was really asking of Rav Shum Ben Pazi. This was really my question. These five times where God says, bless, where King David says, bless my soul, what was those were reference to? What the five times of of saying, bless my soul, bless God, what are those five times referring to? Lo Amran, so this is his answer. Lo Amran al King David was referring to the the things that the God and the soul share. Just like God fills the entire world, so too the soul fills up the entire body. Just like God can see but is not seen, so too the soul is can see, sees but is not seen. Just like God nourishes the entire world, so too does the soul nourish the entire body. Just like God is pure, so too is the soul pure. Just as God lives or, um, or rests in um, rooms within rooms, so too, so too does the soul live in the room inside of rooms. And then what the concluding, what the conclusion is, is halalu. So what King David is really saying is, let the one that has these five attributes come, and give praise to God, who also has these five attributes. So let the soul, let the soul bless God. That's what King David is referring to. Okay? Now that we've um, talked about, now that we have kind of went on this tangent, we're now going to go back to referring to putting, juxtaposing the redemption and the prayer and Shemona Esrei, and we have a story that eventually we'll get to that. Okay, let us begin. Amar Rav Nuna. Rav Nuna explains. What does it mean when it says, um, who is like the wise one, um, one who knows how to interpret things, so it's a reference to God. 
Um, and what does this mean? The one who knows how to interpret things. Who is like God? Who knows how to make a compromise between two righteous people. That word pesher, which um, I explained as interpreting, also could mean a compromise, a pshara, a compromise. So who is like God that makes compromises between two righteous people? What is this a reference to? Um, who made a compromise between Chizkiyahu, the king, and Yeshaya, the prophet. Chizkiyahu, Amar. Chizkiyahu would say, Lesi Yeshayahu Gabai, let Yeshaya come to me. I am the king. I deserve that respect. Because we see this by Elijah, who was a prophet. Who would go to Ahab, who would go to talk to Ahab, the king. Not the other way around. Um, Yeshayahu, Amar Yeshayahu would say, Lesi Chizkiyahu Gabai, let Chizkiyahu, the king, come to me, because I am a prophet. I deserve the respect. Because we see that King Yehoram, the son of Achav, would go to the prophet Elisha. So what did God do? God brought afflictions on Chizkiyahu, the king, and then told Yeshayahu, the prophet, you now have an obligation to go and visit the sick. Shinemar, as... Um, the verse says, the verse says that they ended up coming together, Yeshayahu and Chizkiyahu, because Yeshayahu went to visit the sick Chizkiyahu. It says, in those days, Chizkiyahu got sick, Lamos, and he was going to die. And Yeshayahu, the son of Amots, the prophet, came to him, and said to him, Ko Amar Hashem, so did God say, tell your house, that you're going to die, you will not live. So just tangential, what does it mean that you are going to die, you will not live? That obviously seems to um, be uh, an unnecessary way of speaking. You are dying in this world. You will also not live in the world to come. You will have no place in the world to come. So now back to the story. Omar Le, Chizkiyahu said, My Kule Hai, why do, we, why do I deserve such a horrible punishment, a horrible predicament? The reason that you deserve this is because you did not involve yourself in procreation. You would never have had children and you never tried to have children. It's only, the only reason I refrain from having children is because I saw that the Holy Spirit that the children that would come from me would be very wicked. So Yeshayahu said to him, why are you getting involved in the secrets, the hidden things of God? These are God's workings. Do not meddle in God's workings. Just do what you're supposed to do. What you are commanded to do is what you need to do. Don't get involved with anything else. And that which God thinks is good for God, that's what God, and that which God thinks is good, that's what God's going to do. But you're supposed to have children. Amrle, so Chizkiyahu said, okay, Hashta Havli Bartach, so give me your daughter. Let me marry your daughter. Esher de Garma Zuchusa Didi Vididach Benafgami Nai Benindemailu. Because perhaps what will happen is, is your good merits, because you're a righteous person, and my good merits, because I'm a righteous person, will combine, and we will end up having good and proper children together. Amrle, so Yeshaya said, Farnigzra Allah Gezeira. So Yeshaya said, but wait a minute, the decree is already out against you that you're going to die, and there's no way to fix it anymore. 
Omar Le, so Chizkiyahu said, got mad at Yeshaya and said, Ben Amotz Kalei Nevoascha, he said, the son of Amotz, Yeshaya, let your prophecy finish, say and get out of here. Because so I have received a tradition from my grandfather, a reference to King David, that even if there's a sharp, sharp sword on the neck of a person, you should still not refrain from praying for mercy. There's always a way to change a decree. It's Marnami. We learned this also in a um, in a verse. Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Eli Ezer, to Amrit Shavayu. Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Lazar, both said, "Afil cherev chadam munachas al tzavarosh adam." Even if a sharp knife, a sharp sword is on the neck of a person, al yimna atzmim in rachamim, one should not refrain from asking for mercy. Shenemar, as the verse says, "Heinik taleni lo ayachel," that although he kills me, I will still pray to him. Meaning you could pray even as death is on your doorstep, you can still pray and rescind that decree. Okay, so that is the end of what we're going to do today. Um, we started to talking about, we started with a discussion about the first and second chapter of Psalms really being one. Then we talked about praying not for the sinner to die, but rather for sins to die. We were introduced to Bruria, the, um, the Bruria, the wife of Rebbe Mer. We um, had a couple of stories between between a Torah scholar, a righteous Torah scholar, and a heretic. Then we started um, talking about um, the five worlds that King David lived in, and still said praise at each one, and with praise, I'm sorry, and praise God at e during during each of those time periods. Then we talked about, and we went on and on about that, and that was very interesting. Then we went and spoke about, um, what was next? Next was um, talking about, bless my soul, bless God and all of my innards. And we talked about the difference between God and human beings and how they create. And then we talked about about um, what the five bless my souls were referring to, the similarities between the soul and God, and how the soul should come and bless God. And then we got to um, discussing the story between Chizkiyahu and Yeshayahu, how they never wanted to see go and visit each other because each felt that respect demanded the other way until eventually Chizkiyahu got sick. And then we started to, and then we refer, we, then we talked about Chizkiyahu and why he was going to have such punishments because he was meddling in the workings of God. And then we talked about this last case, this last idea of even if a sharp sword is upon your neck, you should still ask for mercy because no decree cannot be rescinded with proper prayer. All right, have a great day. Sorry that today's was a little bit longer.